Amboss is a proud family-run business that has been bringing safe access to roofs and other elevated areas to the Australian market for over 43 years. Welcome to Talking Architecture and Design. My name is Branko Melodic, and today we have with us in the studio Sally Brinkett. Sally Brinkett is an architect with over 20 years of experience and is Thomas Thompson Assets, rather, Victoria Education Sector Lead. She recently led a large joint venture team on five primary and two secondary schools across mainstream and inclusion streams for the Victorian Building Authority or the, or the Victorian School Building Authority, I should say, the VSBA. Her design approach places high emphasis on connection to nature and she believes that visual and physical access to nature has a positive impact on student learning outcomes. Sally's interests include sustainability and waste reduction, education methodologies, public transport infrastructure, and of course, public environmental policy. So welcome to Talking Architecture and Design, Sally Brinkat. Thanks for having me, Branko. Good to be here. Okay, so according to the rather salubrious Harvard School of Public Health, the average school student spends some over 15,000 hours in school by the time they graduate high school, um, second only to the amount of time they spend at home. This makes it critically important to design school buildings that support the physical and mental health of students and teachers. Students that feel their best will learn their best, of course, and have healthy interactions with both teachers and peers, et cetera. So Sally, in your mind, how's this idea, and I assume this is like a, this isn't just Harvard School of Public Health. This is probably, obviously, sounds like, sounds like the Harvard School of Common Sense, really. But anyway, so how in your mind does this influence how you would design a school or approach designing a school, I should say? Well, I think you're right. I think common sense although not being that common, is actually a really good way to approach this. And that, that's really what we do. And I think um, the principles of, of biophilic design are really important. And what we, what we see and what we apply to the projects that we're working on is this idea of creating an environment where the students can feel safe, um, both physically and emotionally. Um, and because we do a lot of work with inclusion and special schools as well, that really helps to embed that feeling for those students. And there's a couple of things that we do in that setting that that, um, that really help as well. But the, the connection to nature is, is really fundamental to all of that. So by that, we're talking about creating really great landscapes. We're talking about making sure that we've got good views in and out of classrooms um, and we've got fresh air and sunlight. It's important that the students can see nature progressing so they can see the seasons, they can see the wind, they can see the rain so long as they're, you know, protected from it um, traditionally in an education environment. But what we're seeing more and more is this extension into outdoor learning. And so that that's something that, that will... I think fundamentally change the way that our younger students um, grow up and how they view what we're doing to the planet. And I think that that's a really key key thing that our education system needs to embed further. Can you talk me through the <laughs> primary and secondary school projects you're currently working on? Because it's, it's quite a few, isn't it? Um, uh, Thompson adds it's fairly, um, how, would, how would I say, busy in this area. In your mind, what would be the underlying, <laughs> the underlying theme 
in designing this? Or is there an underlying theme or, or is, is there a different theme for each one? So the underlying theme across all the work we do at Thompson Adset is care. You know, we work across a number of sectors that are all intertwined in that way around, um, around the, this notion of care. And I find that when you're working with schools, that's really relevant. And because we're working with with inclusion schools and special schools, um, a lot of a lot of what the teachers need to do is actually creating that that sense of safety for the students. And so that on a number of schools at the moment. So we've got um, we've got some secondary schools, some primary schools, and a, a large redevelopment of a, a special school. Um, and that's just in Victoria, in Queensland. We've got a number of projects across the the full range of. Um, education from ELC all the way through to tertiary. Same thing in New South Wales. We've also got um, the full gamut um, of uh, right up to, to tertiary in Victoria as well. Um, and so across all of those projects, you know, we, we interweave that care notion. But I think I think the key thing actually is that connection to nature. You know, we, we, we spend a lot of time and effort working with our landscape teams to make sure that the buildings are really embedded in country. And we're we're really starting to engage the schools that we work with with their First Nations um, elders that are, you know, custodians of the country that they're on to help them embed that in their education, um, you know, in their scenarios and, and how they're, they're really weaving that into the story that, that the kids are getting um, in the classroom. And, and it's really important provide buildings that support that notion. I mean, ultimately, it's up to the educators. But if we've got a setting like we've done with, with the recent projects that we've just, um, the, the new schools that we've just done for the Victorian School Building Authority, um, we were working in, in partnership. The key part for us and for our partnership was actually bringing, bringing the landscape up into you know, into the immediate surrounds around the buildings. And a lot of those um, schools have these fantastic um, window seats and the students can sit in the window and they've actually got garden and they've got um, landscape right up with them. Okay, so what are your thoughts on vertical schools? Um, we have, there, there, that, was a, that was a thing here in New South Wales for about a year. Um, and I believe there was, there's a couple of schools in, in South Melbourne, from memory. Um, is it true? Is it just my imagination that the designers have actually gotten a bit cool on that because A, COVID, and B, <laughs> um, yeah, and B, um, it really um, hasn't proven to be popular? Or, or is that just in my mind? Am I just imagining this? Look, I... I... It's a tricky question to answer because I think that a lot of times the context of a project actually points us towards the response. And so, you know, if we've got a school that's got a small site and a large amount of area they need to provide, then the logical conclusion is to go vertical. Um, there is a couple of vertical schools in Melbourne. I think there will continue to be vertical schools in Melbourne as we're starting to backfill and infill some of those um, some of those settings. Some of the city schools from some other private schools are going into disused office spaces, and I think now that we're going to probably have more of those, there's probably a bit more opportunity for that. Um, our Queensland team has just delivered stage two of the Fortitude Valley State Secondary School in Brisbane. 
and um, we're currently participating um, with QUT as a research partner in a, um, an ARC linkage project called Thriving in Vertical School. Research actually is about connecting those students to this idea of how they thrive in a school environment. So they've been doing a lot of work with those students. And actually last Friday I was, was in Brisbane for a, a showcase that they did with the students where they actually created videos and talked about which spaces within their school they thrive in. And the really interesting thing for me that came out of that is there was two overwhelmingly popular spaces in that school. One was the breakout room. Uh, and the other was the green spaces. They've got a couple of different green spaces um, actually outside, you know, physical green spaces. And, and the common theme between all of those was actually either being able to see nature and have that, that visual connection or to be in nature. And one of the... Um, one of the groups of students actually did a comparison between classrooms that they didn't like and the classrooms that they did like. And the difference was their view to nature. And so really that, that cements that idea for me. I think the difference that I noticed um, in the Queensland setting is the school is a lot more open. So it's very open up through the middle. Um, as a result, it's a bit noisy. There is a train line running beside the school. But in Victoria, our vertical schools are a lot more enclosed because of climate. And, and so I think, I think what we need to do is make sure that we are creating spaces where the students can get outside or see outside and make sure that we are doing as much as we can, even in a vertical setting, to connect them with nature in some way. And I think that, that that's probably the trick to making them successful. I think, you know, there's obvious architectural things that need to be done to make them successful, but I think that that's a big one. Um, and you see that at Botanic High in Adelaide as well. You know, that's a very successful vertical school. And They've got lots of lots of views to nature and, and the planning and making sure that that everybody's sort of got a good view outside. So that that's a key part, I think. I, I think that the the methodology of of how and why we provide these buildings, um, you know, can be addressed with with well thought through architecture. Thompson Hats had worked with St Mark's Catholic Primary School to create a design that supports sustainable growth and the delivery of you know, the Sydney Catholic School's new uh, pedagogical approach. Transparency and connectivity between classes, some of the stuff you've already spoken about, transparency mm. between yep. breakout space, flexible learning spaces, which I personally hate, but anyway, my wife's a teacher, so we have... <laughs> we have anyway, that's a different podcast. Uh, were key elements to supporting this approach. To, uh, teaching and learning. Yeah. Was there anything else that was different in the, in the design from like, did I say normal? Well, that one's a fairly bespoke response. Um, there, we had uh, two two existing buildings on site that had different floor levels and lots of demountable buildings. And so the the connection piece that we created there had to bring those things together. So there was a few different different things to go on there. I think that the 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 use or the understanding of the word flexible learning environments is also something that probably always needs a, a deeper um, a deeper understanding. I think flexible actually means you can open it up and close it down, whereas 
probably five or so years ago, we were starting to see open classroom settings that couldn't actually be divided down and closed off um, very well. But certainly the work that we've been doing over the past um, few years is very much about creating a, a group of, of classrooms, I guess you'd call them, that can open and close to the surrounding area. And, and what we find is those, those centralised collaborative zones, which is where different classes can come together or different activities can be can be pulled out of the classroom to um, respond to different needs of the students or different activities. We see a lot more team teaching now because we can open and close those classrooms. I think that 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 really we're finding that actually is very successful and when we go back into the schools after they've been using them for a while they're very happy that they have the option to very easily close down those classrooms when they need to but open them up when they want to and I think that's the key we're moving away from the old operable walls that needed a, a degree in mechanical engineering to open and close and we've now got very simple nice and easy sliding doors that the students can operate which is a much better outcome clearly um, when you go into old schools and they've got those operable walls, they just they leave them closed because it takes too much effort to open them and close them. Whereas with sliding doors, we're just finding them, you know, they're, they're doing their job very well. Um, and so I think that, that and in that school at St Mark's, we really were able to bring their two buildings is incorporated under under that one roof and and really responds really respectfully to the street on one side creates a lovely courtyard in the middle um, and really brings those those older um, buildings together across the campus moving to the state school system responding to the findings by school leadership for uh, for the need for a new for new learning spaces and covered outdoor spaces thompson Atson were appointed to design a learning center for mabel Park State High School. Why do you think, and this is this always gets me a bit confused, why do you think that in a country the size of Australia, you know, remember our wide open plains and, and you know, rolling plains and all, all those all those plains that we have, why are we needing to have conversations about giving wide open space to students? Shouldn't that, like, of all the places on earth, shouldn't we have, <laughs> shouldn't we have, like, space to like, you know, as much as we want? We we should. Uh, mostly, historically, open, large open space in schools has been prioritised for sporting activities. And that doesn't suit every student and increasingly doesn't suit every student and creates a sense of anxiety or peer pressure or flat-out dislike because they're not into sports. And so then they're stuck between the buildings in the spaces that might be windy or, you know, in the shade all the time. At Mabel Park in particular, um, what, what we needed to create there was this, this differentiation between the sporting areas. So it's a heavily sports-focused school. Um, outdoor learning as a very, very big um, way in which the school wanted to re, um, reinvent themselves, I guess you could say. And, of course, in Queensland, they're lucky enough to have a fantastic um, set of weather circumstances that really helps to support that. Um, but we also need to provide 
spaces for quiet contemplation. So for those students who need to self-regulate or are not into sports and just want to sit and have a quiet conversation with their friends, we needed to create those spaces to support that. And that project started out as one thing and became something else altogether. And, and the building that we provided created a large undercroft area that could support a variety of different things, outdoor learning, you know, gathering, um, those kinds of things. And so that was that was really important um, that school has a very high multicultural student population, one of the highest in the country, we understand. And so we needed to provide a, a range of culturally appropriate facilities um, and spaces that supported all the students across that range of, of multicultural backgrounds. Across the course of the project, um, the scope became a lot more about specialist spaces rather than generalist learning spaces and you know by all reports they're very happy with the outcome. AMBOSS Access Letters is proud to sponsor our 2022 education series of podcasts. In 1979, AMBOSS Axis Ladders first designed and manufactured prototypes of pull-down Axis Ladders. This Australian company has no equal when it comes to its safety and certification record. Their longevity in the industry means AMBOSS has learned and perfected the most optimal designs and uses this knowledge in combination with quality materials, professional expertise and exceptional workmanship. And now back to our podcast, talk sustainability objective, but wellness as well, okay. Where does an architect like yourself begin? Because I've noticed, um, I've spoken to a lot of architects about this, and, you know, there is, how would I put it? It's like, it's, 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 it's like starting, it's, it's like starting this huge adventure. You don't know where to start. <laughs> There's so much information and, there is also so much conflicting information. Um, yep. So where, where do you start? So for us, taking those biophilic principles is, a, is sort of the natural start for us. And I think that we're always trying to use materials in a state as close to their natural state as possible. So we're not looking for a plastic material that looks like timber. If we want to use timber, we will try and use timber. Now, that's not always possible. And sometimes, you know, there, there's legitimate reasons not to do that, but that's always our starting point. Um, and again, that connection to nature is as simple as if you're working at a, a, a desk that looks like timber, you want it to feel like timber. And, and that is also a very good um, way in which some students will actually ground themselves and to self-regulate because they've actually got that intrinsic connection to nature. And we find students that spend a lot of time in the outdoors, you know, hiking, playing, nature play is a really big element of a lot of our landscapes is that that we bring that, we try and bring that in with the materiality of the spaces that we use. And I think that tactility and, and really supports sensory needs as well. So in our special school We've done a lot of that. We've done. We've used a lot of natural materials, and then we've also introduced a range of, um, I guess you'd call them textured 
wall finishes in areas as the students are coming from outside into their classroom, we've got different wall linings that are actually tactile so that the students can choose whichever one sort of, you know, tingles their, their fingertips and use that as a calming method as they move through into the classroom so that they're ready for learning. And we worked really closely with the allied health team at, at that particular school to, to work through um, what they needed to be and, and where they should be. And, and, and that, that project isn't finished being built yet, but, um, you know, this time next year we'll, we'll be able to get some feedback from the kids as to how that's working and, and the, the teachers as well. And I think there's also a range of, uh, in, in terms of selecting materials, there's a range of different, um, I guess, techniques and um, uh, certification methods that are available now. And so we're always looking to make sure that we're looking for certified products, um, you know, that, that have the right uh, environmental credentials, because the last thing we want to do is, is um, you know, select materials that are as far as possible from their natural state, um, because it just doesn't fit with our, our ethos. but I, I want to really, really uh, get your views on, on this in terms of from, from school design and moving forward. And, and I say this from someone who went to a school where everything was concrete. Um, mm. I mean, seriously, and, and, and it was like a suburban school. It wasn't like in the city, but everything was concrete, um, toilet blocks, um, yep. bubblers, everything was like, it, it, it really looked, dare I say, institution, institutionalised. So on that point, how much is biophilic design important to a, a modern school design, in your opinion? And when I say modern school design, I, I probably don't mean 2022. I probably mean 2030, let's say. I mean, mm. how much do you think that, that bio... And, and on that point, do you think that biophilic design is going to become the factor that, that, that designers are going, going to look at uh, in terms of when, when they're actually designing designing a school or, or educational institution, I think the first part the first part of your question is it's essential. So so we we have become so disconnected from nature in our day to day lives, and we see the effects of that every day. You know, climate change is actually a symptom of how disconnected as a society we've come become from nature, and so. You know, by starting to embed that fully into schools, we can really start to shift the needle back to where it needs to be. We need to be instilling in children from the very youngest years that they can be and should be one with nature and that that there's a lot to learn from First Nations people in that regard as well. I mean, you know, tens of thousands of years they've been here looking after country and they were doing a fantastic job until us colonials came along and started, you know, changing the narrative, as it were. And so biophilic design really gets us back to basics. And, and in terms of the landscape around schools, I mean, we've seen over the past few years in Victoria in particular a real shift away from the uh, very man-made 
elements that make up the external landscape of a school yeah. and the, the projects that we've delivered um, this year that have opened this year, I mean, those schools are luscious landscapes. There's very little concrete. You know, we've done main paths in concrete and some, some asphalt areas for down ball and things like that. Yeah. But that's about it. You know, everywhere else is some kind of natural material. And that what we're hearing from those schools is they actually are really starting to see how that plays out. You know, the, the educators have come from other schools. They've come from schools that, you know, were built any time in the last 50 or 60 years with varying degrees of concrete, as you say. And what they notice is they come into one of our schools and, in fact, one of the at one of our schools, the inclusion school, um, one of the education assistants, one of the aides came to us when we were out there a few weeks back and, and as soon as she found out we were the architects, she was, she was gushing at us about how, how much she loved the school and she said, when I came here to interview for this job, I just felt calm when I walked into the building. And I, I mean, that's... As far as I'm concerned, job done. I mean, that that's to hear someone who works in, let's face it, a, a very intensive job in a very intensive environment um, to feel calm is, is amazing. And that's exactly what we were trying to do. And so that's, I think if the more we embed that, and I, I think that architects are really embracing this idea of biophilic design, whether we talk about it directly or not, I would say that certainly most of the architects that I know, they're, they're doing that inherently in their practice. And I think that, you know, it's really going to have benefits. I mean, one of the things about designing schools is you're designing a space that's going to educate thousands of students over the next 50 years. And, and that's a really good way of thinking about what we're doing has a lasting impact. It's not a short-term thing. So what you're saying is architects have realised that beauty comes from nature and not the other way around. Absolutely. Yep. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, one of my bugbears, and I have a, I have a lot, but <laughs> one of the ones we'll speak about today um, is the, the, the reuse or not reuse of brownfield sites, uh, or not enough in, in my mind. I mean, I could be wrong. I have been known to be wrong once or twice. But do you think that we are not reusing or are we reusing brownfield sites enough um, when, when it comes to launching new schools? Because um, there are a lot of, I mean, in Sydney, just recently, a few past couple of years, they re, um, they, they took an office building. Okay, it's a vertical school. I'm okay, there's a reason for that. But, they, but they've taken an existing building, right? So they've turned it into a school. So, you know, we know what they say, mm -hmm. the sustainable building is the one you're sitting in. So yep. do you think that we're not, that there's been too much focus on, on greenfield sites when it comes to uh, new schools? and not enough on brownfield sites? Again, I think it depends on the context. So the new schools that we've been working on, because of where they are, they're, I guess they're what you would consider a greenfield site, but actually I don't consider any field, any any site is actually a greenfield site because they've they've had a use, they've had multiple uses mm. um, in, the, in the recent agricultural colonial history, but also for tens of thousands of years. So... But but the new schools in particular are in those growth suburbs. That's where they need to be and that's why we're building them. But again, 
we've got a lot of history in those sites and, and you know, we're, we're always trying to maximise the understanding of that history. But I think when you're talking about inner city particularly and, and the project you're talking about, Botanic High is a really good example. Um, we've got a couple of um, private schools that are in existing um, uh, office buildings here in Melbourne. I think that we do need to be reusing buildings where they are in the right spot and where they are appropriate for their need. And I think that that's a key thing. I think we've found a lot of office buildings actually can be repurposed really well. I mean, if you're talking about the the quasi-tertiary sector, um, Monash College, which is that um, interstitial sort of school between um, high school and and tertiary for international students. So it gives them a year of grounding in in language um, before they start tertiary in Australia. They reused um, an office, a very large office building, and they have completely repurposed that building across multiple levels into an education facility. And yes, it's a different cohort than what we're necessarily talking about, but I think that it, it has been very successful. And as we start to see the effects of COVID, I think that we're actually going to see more opportunity for that, not less. Um, not necessarily on the fringes, of course, because they don't exist out there, but certainly there's there's opportunities more, you know, that, that will be coming over, over the, the ensuing years. So now, Sally, it's time to dust off that architect's wish list. <laughs> what, in your experience, would be the perfectly designed school? Well, that's a, that's a big question. I think we've talked a lot today about how we use biophilic principles, and I think that, that that probably by now goes without saying. I think that's the the perfect approach. But I, I think one of the things that I've noted working with inclusion settings, but more specifically working in that specialist education space, is that our school system and therefore our school buildings need to be designed to support all students. So by that, I mean that if we're supporting students who have additional needs, and I don't necessarily mean students with a disability, but students who have additional needs, um, then we are actually helping a very wide cohort of students. So not all students have a diagnosis, not all students get support. Um, by, you know, by way of an education aid. So providing spaces that are acoustically performing really well helps lots of different students. It also helps the teachers. Um, You know, we want to make spaces where the students feel calm and engaged so that then the educators can do their work to engage them with the material. And a couple of ways that we've done this is we've, we've created classrooms that are not white, walls, that we've got a deep green colour in this particular instance that that creates a classroom where students who might have particular sensory issues um, can actually not feel like they're in this bright white clinical environment because what we need to understand is a lot of these students spend a lot of time in Um, in health facilities and they're all bright and they're all white and so we want to create an environment in a school where they don't feel like they're about to be poked and prodded by a doctor or a team of researchers or whatever it is that's going on for them and so 
we've really found that if we can provide a variety of spaces within a school, that the schools can then tailor where their students belong and which classroom they might be allocated to based on whatever their sensory needs are. And it's and it's it seems to be really working. The school's telling us that they've got students who are noticeably calmer in those darker rooms. And those darker rooms then have, you know, a particular view out of a window to a particular part of the garden where there's, you know, flowering plants so they can see the bees and, and hear the birds and, and those kinds of things. And we're also making making classrooms where the window's open so that there's a bit of breeze coming in. Now, obviously, it's not always um, helpful, but sometimes it can be really helpful. And so I think that as we embed this, this notion of inclusion um, and real inclusion and take all the lessons from our First Nations elders about how to connect to country and to the stories of the land, then we're actually setting the students up for success. And then the educators just have to engage them with the material and they can leverage off the buildings to do that. So I guess design is is a lot, design of education spaces is a lot more important and mm. more than, than most people realise it. Yeah, I, th- I think so. And and it's one of the things that I, I like about working in the education space because you've actually creating a space for students to learn and the more comfortable we can make them and the more um, calm we can make them, the, the more ready they are to learn and to take in the material. And then it's up to the educators and the better the spaces for them to operate in, the better the outcomes for everybody. True. Sally Brinkett, architect, with Thompson Asset. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Branko. You've been listening to Talking Architecture and Design, complete with a whole lot of sound issues. <laughs> Thank you for <laughs> listening to Talking Architecture and Design. Until next time, goodbye. Amboss Access Letters is proud to sponsor our 2022 education series of podcasts. I'm Branko Melodic and thanks for listening to Talking Architecture and Design brought to you in association with the Architecture and Design Network. You can catch up with news, projects, interviews and much more at architectureanddesign.com.au where you can also subscribe to our newsletters and magazine.